Welcome to another episode of the Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, I discuss health identification for the homeless, rideshare services for seniors, and stroke risks after preterm birth. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 85 for the week of May 17th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. Before we get started, our diagnosis code for this week is T73.3, exhaustion due to excessive exertion. So you know me, I'm, I like to go to the gym very often, you know, uh, four times a week or so. You know, maybe I'll boss it up to five, but as of right now, uh, if I push it to five, I'll probably end up getting this diagnosis code at some point because, you know, I mean, as anyone who can relate who goes to the gym, I mean, you go there after work, you're already exhausted. It kind of gives you a boost of energy after the fact, but getting into the workout in the beginning is very, very tough. And then, you know, after that burst of energy at the end of the workout, you're exhausted or, you know, you overexerted yourself. So anyways, let's get right into the news. First up, we have helping the homeless with health care. Researchers at the University of Texas Dell Medical School have been trying to find ways to improve the health care of those experiencing homelessness. One-third of the homeless people entering the health and human services system in Austin didn't have a basic identity document. Their birth certificates, social security cards, or driver's license are often damaged, lost, or stolen. Researchers are working on using blockchain technology to create a way for the homeless to have their ID verified by one provider. It would then be securely stored and shared through the health and human services network. Using this technology, their ID would be verified each time they check into a medical service provider so they don't need to repeatedly show a photo ID. They would prove their ID through an app which 80% of the homeless population can access through their phones or the provider could look them up using the technology. So this sounds really cool, right? Except for I was on board 100% until the end. And now call me a skeptic, but when you say that the ID could be accessed through a phone, which is cool, right? But I don't know if necessarily that's the way you should talk about it in a story. It's like, hey, maybe that should be the second the second part of this sentence here. Maybe it should be like, you know, the provider could look them up using the technology and find their ID on the website or on the on using the app. Um, or if for whatever reason they have their phone, but they don't have their social security card or driver's license or birth certificates because they're damaged. It just seems kind of weird to me. I feel like I feel like a phone would be the least the last thing someone who would who is homeless would have. I mean, right? If they don't have their their three biggest IDs, which you know, I'm not saying that they should. I'm not saying I'm not trying to disparage people who who are homeless because that's a terrible terrible experience and I hope no one ever goes through it and I hope if someone's going through it, they they can find the help they need, but it's just kind of odd to me that it's like, hey, you know, you can access it through your phone, Mr. Homeless Man. It's like, eh, it's a little strange. Um, but, you know, other than that part, the fact that it's using blockchain is really cool. Um, it's, you know, blockchain is usually synonymous with Bitcoin and, and all those cyber cryptocurrencies. Um, but, you know, it's kind of cool to see that there's other uses for blockchain. And it makes sense because, right. Bitcoin, the reason why it's so popular, other than the fact that it doesn't have any kind of regulations associated with it, and it's not, and anyone can buy it, regardless of where they live in the world, 
it doesn't matter what type of, you know, where they live in the country and it all has the same value on a global scale, is that it's very secure in the sense that the way that it works is you have a, you purchase something and there is a receipt of you purchasing the Bitcoin. And then that goes through if you trade it or you sell it, there's a, a receipt. So that's kind of an ID. And I think that's kind of where they got this idea from. It's really, really cool. I think that's an awesome way to do it. And I hope in the future, you know, this extends to everyone having their ID be securely locked via blockchain. That would be kind of neat. Next up, seniors running in style to their health appointments. Round trip an online marketplace for health transportation announced that it's working with Clover Health, a technology company improving health outcomes for America's seniors. The partnership will offer non-emergency medical transportation, or NEMT, to Clover's Medicare Advantage members. The goal is to combat the transportation barrier to care for seniors. Clover members whose plans include transportation benefits will be able to schedule NEMT through Round Trip's ride ordering app. Vehicle options include medical sedans, wheelchair vans, and non-emergency ambulances so that there are accessible options for all seniors. Clover members or their care coordinators can book a ride or schedule a future ride. So we've talked about something like this in the past. Uh, Uber and Lyft both started dabbling into medical transportation. Um, and now we have Roundtrip, which is kind of cool. Uh, an, online medical pl- an online marketplace for health transportation. Um, and it's it's working together with Clover Health. So a lot of times what you see is you see these ride sharing applications partner with other healthcare organizations. Or, you know, the first step is they announce it. They say, hey, we're doing this. And then the next step is, okay, we're going to partner with healthcare organizations because the healthcare organizations are the ones who pay them, right? And then the healthcare org- the idea is that healthcare organization probably offers these services for either a very minimal fee or no fee at all. It's because they're working with Uber or Lyft or Roundtrip and, and working that payment into it. So um, obviously senior citizens is a great target market for this kind of thing. Um, and probably the number one target market for this. Um, so good on Roundtrip and Clover Health. Next up, pre-warning for the risks of preterm birth. A study published in the American Heart Association Journal Circulation showed that women who delivered babies preterm had a higher risk of having a stroke. A full-term pregnancy is about 40 weeks. A birth earlier than 37 weeks is considered preterm, which makes up 1 in 10 births in the United States. Previous smaller studies had suggested an association between preterm deliveries and stroke, as well as high blood pressure, which is the main factor of stroke. This led to a larger study of nearly 2.2 million women who gave birth between 1973 and 2015, and the diagnosis of stroke during the same years. By the end of the study, 1.7% of the women had had a stroke. Even after accounting for other risk factors, the frequency of stroke was 42% higher among women with preterm deliveries compared to full-term. And the earlier in the pregnancy that the birth occurred, the greater the risk. Those risks were the highest in the 10 years after delivery, but they persisted up to 40 years later. It was most surprising to the researchers that the risk persisted for so long. Yeah, I don't know what necessarily the cause of that is, right? I think, you know, they're kind of finding the correlation here, right? A lot of times what these medical studies will do, and any kind of study really, is they find a correlation, right? It's easy to find a correlation. It's hard to find a causation, okay? So it's, you know, they're finding that, you know, people who, women who have preterm births, 
have a 42% higher chance to have a stroke, right? And does that necessarily, like, what's causing that? Is it the preterm birth itself? I mean, that's kind of what they're alluding to. But are there other factors involved? Are there environmental factors? Is there pollution factors? Is there stress factors? Is there um, genetic factors? I mean, that part we don't know. But what they do know is that there is a correlation between having a, a baby early and increasing the risk for stroke. I wonder if that's stress-related from having a, a baby early. Um, but if it lasts 40 years, I don't know how you can quantify that. That's kind of insane. 40 years is a long, 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 long window. And there's so much that could happen in 40 years. I don't know if it's part of a bigger thing where it's like maybe women just have a higher chance of getting strokes. You know, is that something you could, you could pull out of this? We don't know. But is there a correlation there? You know, arguably, yes. So um, it'll be interesting to see what else comes out about this from this study. Um, right. So they published the study. And the next step, obviously, a study is never really done. They find the correlation. They have to find the causation and then figure out ways to avoid it if it's something that's bad. And in this case, it is. With that, let's go into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest breaches all across the world. First up, we have Operation Downtime. Scripps Health is continuing to operate under EHR downtime procedures, and its website and patient portal remain offline after a ransomware attack reported in May 1st. The outage was caused by a malware infection on the computer's networks. Operations were disrupted at two of the four main Scripps hospitals and the backup servers that reside in Arizona. Telemetry data was impacted at the majority of sites and, Medicare and medical imaging access was down. All four hospitals diverted critical care patients to nearby hospitals. Outpatient urgent care centers, Scripps Health Express locations, and emergency departments remained open. Scripps says that while the incident has resulted in operational disruptions, its clinical staff is trained to still provide care in these situations. Providers, clinicians, and care team members are using paper records while Scripps continues to investigate and work to recover its offline systems. No details were provided on the projected timeline for recovery or which systems were impacted. Yeah, I mean, another example of, of ransomware just continuing to be one of the biggest trends in cybersecurity, um, and especially if you're a healthcare organization. So there's been a lot about ransomware in the news, and a lot of that had to do with the uh, uh, the oil oil line that got that got hacked, right? That was a ransomware attack as well. Um, so it's really in the news now, but you can see how the impact it had on the infrastructure because it's grabbing national headlines. But not every time do you see in the national news news about ransomware in healthcare organizations. But it's equally, if not worse than infrastructure attacks because you know people in urgent care need health or need help now right and in emergency departments they need help right away so um that's i mean that's why health that's why they target healthcare is because if they can get into the system they can usually get the ransom very quickly because of the time involved um because what you're supposed to do when you get a ransomware attack is uh, is notify authorities right but that starts off a whole thing, and, and the government isn't necessarily fast. Um, and I imagine that they do realize that time is of the essence for ransomware attacks, but there's a lot of red tape to go through. Um, 
So a lot of times healthcare organizations will just cut their losses and pay the ransomware attack, or at least that's what the hackers are hoping for. Um, so just, just another example uh, to talk about and emphasize how bad ransomware is as a healthcare organization. Next up, Peloton cycles through security incident. Peloton suffered a data breach in which user data became freely accessible. A handful of the company's APIs could have been queried by authenticated and unauthenticated users. Pentest Partners disclosed this vulnerability privately to Peloton on January 20th. This permission was then changed to only authenticated users, but that wasn't much protection since anyone interested in the data could just register for a free account. The available data included user IDs, instructor IDs, group membership, location, workout status, gender, and age, and if a person was in the studio or not. With this information, an attacker could send phishing attempts. After first reaching out, Pentest Partners had not heard back from Peloton after 90 days and multiple attempts to follow up. TechCrunch reached out and finally got Peloton's attention, which still has yet to confirm or deny that the data wasn't scraped by an outside party. So, I mean, a lot of times when we when we have this section, there's ransomware attacks, and then there's also these kinds of attacks, which don't necessarily seem that severe, but they could be severe depending on what the hacker does after the attack happens. So they get this data, and it's not that it's not that sensitive data, right? It's IDs, membership, location, which I guess could be sensitive, but everything has your location these days, so that's not as sensitive as it used to be. Um, workout status, gender, and age. Okay, so what they can do with that then is target those individuals and attempt to do a phishing attack on them. Okay, that's like the only thing that could really happen from this, other than just having bad PR as a whole from Peloton's perspective. Um, that's about it. Okay, so what Peloton can do is they could say, hey, we had a breach. Here's what you should do. If you get any kind of emails regarding this type of, you know, Peloton, we're not associated with it officially. So just stay vigilant. That's essentially what Peloton can do. Um, other than that, they need to update and make sure that their cybersecurity processes are better. <laughs> and finally, learning late about student victims. Thousands of Derman patients and guardians have been notified that their child's personal data was stolen during a recent breach. An estimated 6.5 gigabytes of data was stolen in the incident that occurred with a third-party software provider used by the regional municipality of Durham. The public was informed of the breach on April 9th, and on May 10th, Durham informed parents from three local school boards that were impacted. This affected almost 90,000 students in the region. Attackers may have accessed the child's Ontario education number, name, date of birth, address, school location, grade, and class information, as well as parent or guardian name and contact numbers. The region doesn't have evidence that the information has been misused, but they're warning families to be vigilant. The investigation is ongoing, the vulnerability has been addressed, and the region has secured the systems. So this is very similar to the Peloton incident, except in this case, they contacted people and told them to be vigilant, right? So this is that next step that I was just talking about in the last story. Uh, in, in Peloton's case, they hadn't reached out or confirmed that there was an attack. And in this case, Durham informed parents um, and school boards and anyone who was impacted about what happened and told them how to move forward and address this problem. Um, so, right, be vigilant. That's kind of the word that goes <laughs> that kind of goes hand in hand with the section. Um, whether you're an organization or you're an individual who's been affected by an attack, 
the idea is to always be vigilant and the company it's the company's responsibility to tell you that they messed up and they need to tell you how to fix it but as a general rule of thumb always be skeptical about emails you receive right so they could be phishing attempts um in this case it's a little bit more it's a little bit worse than what happened to peloton because it's affecting students who are usually most likely minors right we don't know if there's if it goes all the way to high school age students where some of them might be 18 but um so it's a little bit more sensitive information just because of that little notion but it's very 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 similar to the peloton attack that i talked about earlier and that's it for this week's wrap up of your weekly healthcare news i'm at money penny i'll see you next week thank you for listening to the bandage podcast produced by e-tactics